0: Welcome this week to Talking Flute Sector. With me, the old flute geezer, Jean-Paul Wright. I don't know if you can hear me because we're actually at the NAM show in sunny Anaheim, California. Correct. And I am stood next to a wonderful doctor. Now, not a medical doctor, although he may, he may <laughs> convince you that he can be a medical doctor. It's Dr. Keith Hendon. Hello, Keith. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. You're an educator, you're Correct. a nerd, but we'll redefine nerd later. Re- absolutely. It's important we define nerd, and nerdiness in musical instruments and the reason why this world needs nerds. Oh, for sure, for sure. But tell me first about why are you here and what do you get when you what do you learn when you go around the other all the booths? Because this is the world's biggest B 2 B, business to business mm-hmm. and show in the world, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It covers stage and sound, audio, band and orchestra, publishers, uh, music print guitars, everything is here. Um, So we're here promoting the Trevor James brand and uh, introducing it to a lot of potentially new dealers, players who maybe have come across one uh, that a friend had and they're getting a chance to actually try the instruments and, and give us feedback. So that's really the best aspect is getting feedback.
0: And what's really interesting to me from a, from a distance is, your life is not necessarily encompassed in what you're doing here. So let's talk about Flute Examiner.
1: Oh, thank, thanks for asking. So, it's about 2016. A friend of mine, Amanda, had started a online pedagogical newsletter, and uh, asked me to help her with it. So we we built it up. We've we've added Kelly and Jessica and now Rebecca. So we have a a whole team now that's working on it, but it's a free newsletter for flute people. We cover everything. We talk about pedagogy, we talk about repair, we talk about health and wellness, and we basically talk about it from a a standpoint of a human being. We're not trying to beat you to death with dictionary words and thesauruses. We're, We're talking about real life experiences, our own personal injuries, experiences with us as our own flute players. And um, we're, we're starting to expand and, and bring more, more teachers and players in and contributors. So it's, it is a free newsletter, The Flute Examiner. And, and we, do, we do a lot of really fun interviews with, with fun people. And uh, especially coming to shows like this, it's, it's great because we make a lot of contacts to continue bringing new information to, to all our flute friends. Now, you
0: live in a world of highly educated educators and people that like to delve into the depths of the instruments that we're playing and that we're working with, sure. working on. The Flute Examiner, however, goes to a wider audience, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. We write it from a standpoint where we want a, a someone, a junior high kid who's just curious and wants to know about things up to a, a college professor who just wants to share information or learn just a little bit more. So it's a very down-to-earth approach. We, we don't want to make it too intellectual. We don't want to make it too watered down. We're trying to find that happy balance of just having a conversation.
0: And how do you get that conversation to work for the high school kid and the university professor?
1: We bring in a lot of our own experiences as teachers and players and former and current students. And we try to think about what our readers want to know, what they should know, Without going too in depth, but we also try to aim them in the right direction, so that if they want to know more, they can find it. They know how to look for it, and the questions to, they can start forming the questions, so they know what to ask. Got you. And
0: you've got a low flute section, which I know is you've just taken delivery of a, a monster. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, I yes I have. Can
0: you tell our audience, our Talking Flutes podcast audience, exactly what monster you've taken?
1: Yeah. So um, I focused on piccolo through a majority of my yeah. career with the military and my my doctorate. And, um, and I, I absolutely love the piccolo, but over the years, I found myself getting further and further into the low flutes, as it were, and recently just purchased a Contra bass of my very own. And just like the Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. If you own a Contra, you'll get asked to play it.
0: And you went, You had to order it from Japan, didn't you?
1: I did. I did. I went big or I was going to go home. So I, I got a, a really beautiful handmade Japanese Contra. Katata flute. Yes, yeah, Katato.
0: How did you find that? Because contras, I always find contras really difficult to, just to get that initial sound until Absolutely. you find the sweet spot. Yeah. Obviously the Katata is like, it's, it's the Rolls Royce of. Absolutely. And it's very different to the Kingma. Yeah, so how both did, wonderful instruments. They are both wonderful instruments. But how did, did the sweet spot show itself straight
1: away as soon as you played it? So with that particular instrument, I immediately fell in love with the low end. It's just really rich and full. Surprisingly, the the plays beautifully in the third octave as well. It's yeah, str- strangely enough. And I also got the troll keys because it does help with some fingering of yeah. fingerings. But uh, the mid range is where it's it kind of goes through a a voice shift, and you have to approach it a lot like you're playing harmonics on a sea flute. You're you're strengthening a partial with a fingering, and so that mid range is a little tricky to get used to. And that first octave jump is it's such a thick sound that. Yeah, it takes a little a little bit of work to get used to that. But I knew as soon as I played it, it just it just was the right sound.
0: There have been many people who listen to this podcast that think of contra bass flutes just going bum, bum bum, 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 Why do you need to go into the third octave?
1: So quite it's quite funny you mentioned that because the next flute choir concert that I'm playing with my contra is a lot of bum, bum because uh, we're doing a march, we're doing some yeah. other. So I'm literally playing a tuba part for the most part. A friend of mine, Jonathan Cohen, plays contra as well and writes beautifully for it. And he, he owns a kataru as well, so he's quite familiar with the instrument and he writes just fun contra parts. So he does explore some of those extended ranges or just the different voicings that you can do. As a solo instrument, I think you should be able to play the full range of any instrument that you're playing on. It's about developing that voice, developing the sound yeah. and, and adding more color and texture to the overall field. Like the, the sound of the flute choir, just like a bass flute up in the third octave has a, a haunting sound or haunting quality. The Contra has its own sound up there. I mean, you might call it whale song, but um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a different color and it brings new texture and possibilities to flute repertoire.
0: How about flute technique, tonguing, because the lip plate is so big. Yeah how would you control the tongue-in aspect of it?
1: I and start, how would you get
0: that, that message from the top all the way down to the bottom?
1: I articulate last week. I've done this name in the podcast. <laughs> you've, you've got to have a lot of coffee to be ahead of the beat so that it'll actually speak when it's supposed to. No, as far as I, you do have to kind of be a little ahead of what you want to do so that it is where it needs to be. With the, the NFA LGBTQ choir that I played with, there was a piece I had to play a low-F tongue ram on a contra. I I did start that about two measures before it actually had to be placed. <laughs> that was a little tricky. That took some time. And uh, I think I got my tongue stuck in the embouchure hole, but uh, I got used to it, and it's it's a neat effect. It's and very tell me different. about that flute choir. So that um, initially started. We did a memorial for Matthew Shepard, and we did it over Zoom. And it just so happened I had a contra on loan at that point, and they asked me to play it. And so that was the initial start. We did a concert, first concert live a couple years back. Last year at NFA, they gave us a, a lobby concert, which there were probably 200 people there listening, and the, the lobby was packed. And as of this coming NFA, we're now an official ensemble of NFA. Official ensemble, yeah. that Official ensemble of NFA.
0: But the joy that came from that, and people there watching it, it seemed to be yeah. an energy there with that choir, that you sort oh. of, I wouldn't say you struggled to get in other choirs, because... Do you find sometimes as flutists, or flautists, as some of us like to be called, I'm a flutist, <laughs> you're a flutist, but you know, just to keep the politically correct, yes. do you find that sometimes we're too serious? So when we're playing in a flute choir, we are sort of in our own little world. But what the feedback from me, from the your flute choir, was the joy that came from
1: it. Oh. Yeah, that choir is, is really about celebrating. We have a lot of fun, a lot of big personalities, a lot of side remarks, joking. We, we just, we get together, we play, we have fun. And, and the level of musicianship in that group, we show up, we can play the parts. So it really is just fun. It's fun. There's a lot of laughing. There's a lot of crying. I get emotional thinking about it right now. Yeah.
0: The thing is, and the joy of, so you get emotional about something like that is not only the fact that you come together as a group, yeah. but the fact that, Music should be about emotion. Absolutely. And when you're putting your personal perspective into those little blobs on
1: sticks on a sheet
0: of paper, yeah. something magic happens. Oh, it's
1: great. It's it's um you leave that concert, everybody's smiling, they're very happy, yeah. we're hugging, we're glad to be with each other, we're family.
0: And I think we need yeah. to do more of that in the future. Absolutely. World. And that we is get, lacking.
1: We get too stuck on on what we're doing and too. I think we get too stuffy. We don't play from the heart. We, we play the notes, we play the rhythms. There's a lot more to it than just playing what's on the page and getting the right fingerings. There's there's a lot of energy that needs to be put into it to share it.
0: And it all comes back to the original thing is what what makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up as an audience member, which is hearing emotion. It Absolutely. is seeing emotion. It is feeling emotion. Yeah. And if you're very rigid, you're playing the dots perfectly. Yeah. But your lack of emotion becomes are robotic. It's so very when stale. all that comes together in one piece, you think,
1: wow. Yeah. Yeah. The the energy and that performance, uh it was it was absolutely incredible.
0: So let's look at energy and performance and go
1: completely off piste. Sure. Let's look at nerd. You are
0: you are <laughs> self you are a self-confessed nerd. Absolutely. But you're not a nerd as when I was at school there was nerds. Yep. And then there was sort of the jocks at the sporty type. Sure. But you're not a nerd as in the nerd that I used to think were the nerds at school. Right. Because your nerdiness is what the whole of the music industry needs in musical instrument development. Because it's the nerds that find out where the tweaks need to be made. It's the nerds that find the problems. And it's the nerds that solve the issues. So you just have a love for the working mechanism of the things that we call flutes, don't you?
1: Absolutely. I, I think um, being a flute nerd it isn't just about knowing the composers and the music and yeah. the history. I mean, that that's very academic. When you get into the mechanics of the instrument, when you get into the, the history of the instrument, and bringing other things into it. You know, I do some 3D printing of my Dungeons & Dragons minis for my gaming group. I bring in CAD design and uh, the prov- problem-solving that I, I use... I apply to the flute, I've learned from woodworking, gaming, the gaming world alone, just playing our our Saturday game with with my friends, some that I work with, and and my my fiancé. The teamwork that you have to do in a game like that to problem solve whatever enemy you're up against in the game applies to the mechanical development of instruments as well. You are not just fixing the problem yourself, you're working with other people to determine and problem solve and how best to do that. I bring a lot the other non-musical things to what I do as my problem solving
0: which is quite unusual because you bring the yep. musical side because you're a musician yeah and you bring the technical side and just for our listeners for me when Keith is in a room with our technical director David <laughs> there is a language going on that it could be serbo-croat it could be chinese I really don't understand <laughs> what is being said but the dialogue between the two of you creates the energy for us to look at things it could be a little thing that you'd noticed yeah that david you both sit and nerd about absolutely um but without people like you within this field nothing would be developed so we've got two wonderful piclos at the moment yeah that you really like but tell me about your experience working with the brilliant adam
1: Petrie. so um Adam, uh, several years ago, well I've known Adam for quite a few years um, and we've become very good friends. I asked him if I could interview him because in in his early days of developing, he's been a repair technician and and he uh, made a head joint for my instrument a couple years back. He's one of our nerds, basically, but he and I would have a lot of conversations over the years and then he let me in on the secret that he was going to be developing a new instrument and uh, so he let me interview him and we, we unveiled that prospect through the Flute Examiner. The article was called The Man Behind the Curtain, which is a reference to The Wizard of Oz, yep. which is a love of his, Judy Garland. I had the, the luxury of, of going to train with him for a week and learn some of the, the more detailed ideas behind finer finishing of, of an instrument or a product that's already there making it better. And problem solving was a large part of that as well. We talked a lot about the, the wood, the tendencies of the wood, and how that all comes into play and how you work with it because the piccolo still thinks it's a piece of wood. It doesn't know it's an instrument and you do have to coax that out of it. And um, so he, he's a brilliant, brilliant man doing wonderful things. He's currently building me an instrument right now, which I just can't wait to get. It's a voice and a sound that is missing. And I think his is, is a very unique instrument and it's gonna be a big hit. But yeah, he's got a lot of, a lot of knowledge. He's, he's worked very hard to gain that knowledge He's gone back and reinvented things over and over again until he gets it right. And it's just, again, it comes back to problem solving and bringing a lot of other areas into the flute and piccolo building and training. He's a wonderful teacher. Yeah, it was a great experience. So
0: how does somebody like you and Adam, who are perfectionists, how can you temper that? Because you cannot produce perfection, can you so now? What is that level? Because as musicians, we can't reach perfection because that doesn't exist, and it's also based around. Sorry, there's a trumpet player playing on behind me, but uh, <laughs> uh, but how do you? Because as, as musicians, we're we're judged by the audience, or a
1: panel of judges, or a
0: teacher. <laughs> that
1: noise! I think I just lost a few brain cells. God, it's uh, dreadful, isn't it? Yeah. But,
0: so we, we are we work on how good we are, or perceive good we are, based around the judgments and perceptions of others. Mm-hmm. But when you're creating this, so yeah. when you and Adam get together, perfection still can't exist in an instrument, can it? No. So, no. is there ever a point when you're happy
1: or Adam's happy in what they, what you're both doing? Well, you know, I, I mean, Adam and I have talked a lot about this, and and he, and he is definitely a perfectionist, and I am as well. But I, uh, and, you know, I've seen in in my career, I've seen a lot of flute players on the constant search for a perfect head joint, and the thing is. The head joint may be acoustically and and mechanically and geometrically perfect, but we aren't. And when you add the human variable into it, that changes things. So I think part of the importance of realizing where you've reached the best that it can be is when the person who's playing the instrument has found their voice.
0: For me, that's the hardest thing to comprehend because We've all got different chops, we've all got different perspectives on what we want. So in effect, Adam, and when you're making things, you're making things blind, you're making it to how you want it and you can feel it, but the voice that you're making is not necessarily the voice that I would want or I would expect. But saying that, do you think many of us are fixed in thinking what we want?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about uh, just think about the the way society has kind of funneled us, you know, two and a half kids, white picket fence—that's just kind of what everybody's told you you should be doing—and that isn't that isn't the mold that fits for everybody. So, you know, when like when my customers send me instruments for repair and they're talking to me about their problems or struggles, I my job is to listen to them, figure out what it is, even when I'm selling a flute, um, and helping them find their flute. Listen to what they want, listen to what they're looking for, and try to try to put that all together and formulate something to, to kind of set them on the right path. And I think um, you know, for for the younger players, you know, they're still trying to discover who they are and what they're doing. And I think they lose some of the joy in it. Um, they're so so stuck in the practice room, so stuck in just what they think everybody expects from them that you they forget to just enjoy it. If, if your instrument is playing well for you and you love what you're hearing, right notes, wrong notes, doesn't matter, but you're getting the sound that, that speaks for you. If it isn't what everybody else wants you to sound like, that isn't necessarily the most important thing. You have to love what you're hearing and love what you're doing with it and, and how you interact with your own instrument. So if, if, that's not, if that's not making you happy, then maybe you're on the wrong instrument or with the wrong teacher or, or playing the wrong music.
0: But the paradox there is what you hear in your ear, which is so close to the flute and what you feel is not necessarily portrayed three, four meters away. So what is the balance when you ask someone to hear you to the balance of what they're hearing compared to what you're feeling?
1: I think think we all hate hearing our own voice on a recording. (laughs) We all hate hearing our own flute playing on a recording too. Um, but I do think, I do think um, recording helps a lot, because then you can hear what the audience is hearing to some extent. I mean, not everybody's going to buy a $1,500 microphone to make that happen, but, uh, but it does give you some feedback as to whether the accents are coming through or the shaping of the phrase. You know, I think we also have to be a lot, a lot kinder to ourselves. We're, we're, we're too hard on ourselves a lot of the time. That's
0: the key. Being kinder to... That's really hard as musicians to be kind on yourselves, because we're... Constantly self-critical, aren't we?
1: That, well, that's what we're trained to do. And our, yeah. our jobs are are on the line. If you're an orchestral player, wrong notes, wrong phrasing, bad intonation. I mean, you know, you have to keep working like that. That like anything else, you have to to build up your your skill level. But at a certain point, if you have the skill and you know you've put in the time, you, you have to just let the music happen.
0: I like that. Let the music happen. But it's a case of trusting yourself, isn't it? Yeah. But trusting that every note that you make, every sound that you make, is valid in its own way. And not everybody can be a Pahud or a Boryakov. They can't be that. So, in your experience with, over the years, with the flute players that you've worked with, and you've worked alongside, everybody strives for something. But what is it that people are striving for? Is it to put? Is it for the paycheck? What is it that they're striving as artists for?
1: I, you know, I think it varies on the depending on the person. I mean, there are those who just play for the paycheck, um, but you know, I know I've revisited different pieces I've played over the years, and every time I come back to it, I have a different approach. Life changes your perspective, and uh, I, I listen to recordings from when I was a few years younger, and and I, I think, why did I do that? Or that makes no sense, but. At the time, that was the perspective I had. And I think there are a lot of players out there who are just just doing it as a job, but there are a lot of players out there too who are doing it because they enjoy making music and sharing it.
0: Well, with you, Keith, what I really like, and over the years I've, I've known you, is music for you is an emotion. Absolutely. What you do on the technical side is an emotion. Yeah. And I think it's a very undervalued job because you can turn a pig's ear into a silk purse. And that is what good technical people do because there is, I don't know what the hell you do. <laughs> I really don't, I've tried to understand I don't, but you have the ability to find issues, but solve issues. And you look at the flute and you think, yeah, but it's just got a few tappy things for yeah. your fingers. But each one of those keys and the padding heights, the padding, well, just the heights between the pad and the jam hole. The embouchure hole and the head joint. There are just so many variables, yeah. Um, so, but you can. That's why people need to put their instruments in for a COA regularly. Yeah. They need to understand that if the instrument isn't necessarily performing for them, is it the flute, or are they generally need a new instrument?
1: Yeah. I my my word of advice to people when they start talking about the flute and maybe needing something new is basically, if you know you've put in the time you know you've you've done your due diligence and learning and what you're doing and you're still going why can't i do that it's probably the instrument it's leaking there's it, it, the instrument may be perfectly fine for for what you need but it may not be an adjustment so if you ever start asking yourself after you know if you've only played something for 10 minutes and still can't do it well you know keep practicing but but if there's something you've been working very hard on for a reasonable amount of time and you why can't i get this why can't i do this there's a really good chance that your head cork is bad or there's a leak or a pad is, is, is not quite sealing the way it should or an adjustment's out or are there any number of things. I mean, I, I quite honestly have done some repairs for people, very minor repairs, for people who were shopping for a brand new instrument and when they got the, that adjustment done, they fell in love with their instrument again and realized I don't need a new instrument. This one is wonderful, I love this instrument. So that little bit of maintenance goes a long way I've also talked to people who have said, I've never had my flute worked on in 40 years. And, and I, I do, I have to laugh a little bit because would you ever not change the oil in your car for five years and expect it to start? <laughs> it's, I mean, there's a certain expectation. It's a mechanical device that we, you drive your flute just like you drive a car. And if the tires are bald and the oil is five years old, it's not going to work. And you can't expect it to help you in an emergency when you need it if it's not being taken care of.
0: I would endorse 100% everything you say. And I was taught the French tradition, played open hole in line, mm-hmm. and I very light. I'm going to need to closer to the microphone. Very light touch. But sometimes you think the padding's right, but you're, you've automatically start pressing slightly harder. Yeah. But as soon as you get those pads altered, or very slightly, by a good technician, suddenly the hermetic seal is there, and whoa, the note pops.
1: The note pops. Yeah, the other thing too is as soon as leaks start, we do have a tendency to, to, to physically compensate by squeezing. We do. And over time, as, as our health and wellness person and flute examiner will tell you, it starts to take its toll on your fingers and your wrists and arms. You're creating more tension, you're playing with more tension, and it gradually builds up to you know repetitive motion injuries and things. So taking care of your flute, in a sense, does take care of you. You can avoid injuries by making sure your flute's working.
0: Do you know? I was thinking: Do we keep talking, or do we find a natural point? And that, you know, I think that's it. Yeah. In that, if you take care of your flute, it will take care of you. Yeah. And if need only, and also the trumpets are starting. <laughs> if you t- if you do the due diligence with your practice, you've got yeah. nothing to blame, or nothing to look at apart from perhe- perhaps your instrument. Yeah, absolutely. So, Keith, before Doctor Keith, the Doctor Keith, <laughs> there is a story behind me calling <laughs> Keith the, the Doctor Keith or Doctor Thee. Dr. Thee. Yeah, there's a story behind <laughs> that, but uh, perhaps on a later date, and the trumpets are starting again. Keith, thank you so much. That's my pleasure. And uh, when you are you heading back to Iowa? Monday morning. Oh, oh and is it, you, will you be able to get there? Because I know it's been snow dumping, hasn't it? Uh,
1: we had basically four back-to-back storms and about 30 inches of snow the week before I left. It's uh, all starting to melt, and I, I should be going back to slightly warmer weather. We had some negative 40 wind chills, so... And and for the international, that's negative forty Fahrenheit.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, gosh! Well, the, the one good thing for me, I'm disappearing today. I'm not going back. I'm going off to Santa Monica to see Gina, Gina Luciani. Oh, give her my best. I will give you her, but yeah, give you, give her your best. <laughs> I will do that. But I think the more important thing is you're going out for dinner tonight. I'm so glad I'm not there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dave and I are going to have some good shots. You're, yeah, And we, yeah, we'll end on the nerd. <laughs> I've tried all my life to understand, but it, when you're talking about the things, the little tiny minutiae that make a huge difference to the flute, all I want to know is be able to, I want to be able to blow it and think, oh, I like that. I don't really want to know why. Yeah. The difference between me and you is you want to know why something Absolutely.
1: Is... A half thousandth leak can which is like the thickness of a pop tart wrapper, can make a huge difference. And if you have several of those, the flute's just not going to play. Yeah, let's
0: not go into that territory. Yeah, yeah. You've lost me on that already. <laughs> Dr. Keith Hanlon, thank you so much. Thank you, Jean-Paul. I've been very, very sort of official there. Keith, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk again soon. Um, flute Examiner, how do people find
1: it? Uh, Thefluteexaminer.com. Simple as that. That's it. And it's free. You just sign up and you'll get our, our monthly edition. will get sent to you. And uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, yeah, so you can just Google flute examiner it's free guys it's free so we're trying to we want to keep it that way i mean we do take donations there's small fees that we pay for um we're getting ready to move over to a a better platform and and there's stuff happening actually today is stuff's been happening uh to make it a better experience for everybody who's reading it uh we also welcome uh contributors if there are, are flute players out there who want to share a story or talk about some pedagogical aspect or whatever you know we welcome we welcome people to submit articles or, or contact us and and uh and we'll we'll work with them and and see what we can do and we we welcome it's a, it's a, it takes a village so we're we're building our flute family and taking care of each other and sharing our stories
0: wonderful keith thank you so much i do hope this comes out you know with all this noise those
1: trumpets were just. <laughs> Thank <music> you.